It was one of the most fascinating sights that I thought I ever saw on our family farm. To be clear, from the outside, it didn't seem like it would be all that impressive, especially if you heard about it, but really the magnitude of what happened was truly was what was astonishing. So every once in a while, my dad would walk out a short distance into the field, into our family farm, and he would simply do this simple call that went out to the fields. He would do it two or three times, and then he would wait. And then over the course of the next few minutes, this was the part that was truly astonishing. It didn't matter how far away from the house the cattle were, even if they were in the furthest back field on our farm, that they would all of a sudden start bellowing and coming in. And you would see that they weren't just walking, they were in fact running, they were trying to find exactly where my dad was. And why was that? Well, oftentimes my dad had something, so you, he might have some mineral, he might have some feed, or maybe he was letting them into a new pasture that they hadn't seen in a while. Whatever the case, they wanted to be there, they heard that call, and they immediately responded, and it was something that was magnificent to behold. We don't think about it that often, but in life we do a lot of the same call and response ourselves. Sometimes we're the ones that are calling, sometimes we're the ones that respond. But nonetheless, it's so important to us that whenever we hear a call, especially when it comes to our faith, that we have this response, that we make this sort of assessment, and we see the value in making that response as well. But whenever we come to that, especially as we consider the context that the church is in right now in this Advent season, do we see exactly what that call and response is? Do we see how we're called to hearts of conversion? We start off this morning with the book of Isaiah, and this is one of those readings that really seems to characterize exactly what the Advent season is about, that it wouldn't really be Advent without it. And so we hear that a sprout shall bloom from the, bud, from the stump of Jesse, that we hear that all of a sudden this stump that is lifeless and seems to have largely gone unanswered and it's kind of fading away, that all of a sudden there's this bud that blossoms. And so there's a sign of life that wasn't there before. And you think about the Israelites and their sort of context, we know that they're in exile, that they're in a place where they feel like they've been largely cut off and left just simply there. But there's something that's happening in their midst, and Isaiah is prophesying not just for their time, but he's also telling of the Messiah that is to come. And so he's telling about the one that will be there, and he's telling about all of the qualities that will be part of his nature. And so the fact that he will have that spirit of the Lord, that he will be the one that leads in wisdom and courage and strength, and all of these beautiful virtues, and it's something that's really encouraging to hear. And what's more, the Israelites have been used to injustice, they've been used to being put on the down and out, but all of a sudden they have this character that's being promised to them that's going to lead in all justice. That he's not going to judge by hearsay, but he's going to judge by truth. And so this is something that's magnificent to behold, and it really would warm their hearts and really give them that hope and that encouragement that they so desired. But there's more. Because we hear about all of these different conflicting things that are going to all of a sudden be companions, they're going to be friends. That we hear about the wolf and the lamb, we hear about the lion who's all of a sudden not concerned with eating animals, but rather is eating grass instead. Or even the child at the adder's lair, a place where he normally wouldn't be. That truly this catches our attention, because this isn't our nature, this isn't our experience. That all of a sudden Isaiah is telling us something that seems unusual and strange. But why is he telling us about this? What's it encouraging us to do? We'll get back to that in just a moment. 
We move on to St. Paul in his letter to the Romans because he's speaking of that word of instruction that continues to be delivered to the Romans. And it's not just simply there just to say that it's been proclaimed, but it's there to give them that hope, that encouragement, to continue to give them the ability to follow God's call and follow it without reserve. And so he does that. He continues to give them that instruction, to give them that word. But then there's more, because it isn't just for the people that are hearing that word right then, but he's also starting to speak about a new audience that's starting to grasp and to gain ears to hear that word. And it's the Gentiles. It's those that are outside. And so whenever St. Paul is speaking to the Romans, he's telling them about this need to be in harmony, not just with Jesus Christ himself, but with the entirety of the people, especially those that might not yet be part of the church. So he's trying to get them to hear those words of hope and encouragement, not just for themselves, but to really grasp onto those so that they can proclaim that word boldly, even to those that might not yet be a part of that fold or part of the body of Christ just yet. And then we arrive at the Gospel of Matthew. And here we may not hear Jesus' name mentioned explicitly, but his coming is told very vibrantly in this passage because it's trying to tell through John the Baptist exactly what's happening and how the Lord is prophesying and telling about the Lord's coming, even as he's in the flesh already at this point. So John the Baptist, we hear about his cry, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was his singular message, and it's one that he proclaimed time and time again, day in and day out, and yet it's a powerful one to hear nonetheless. And to set the context of exactly where he's coming into our salvation history, we hear that Matthew's aware of that prophesy about John the Baptist, telling us that Isaiah once told about the one that was a voice crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his path. So he's tying John the Baptist to that earlier prophecy that he was coming, and he's telling all about how he fulfills that. But John the Baptist, whenever we hear that, he says that simple message, but we know that not everyone's able to hear it, because the Pharisees and Sadducees, they show up for this baptism, but there's a problem. Because they've heard this word, repent, but they think about the external sign of repentance. They think about baptism, the way that that would be a sign that looks good, at least on the outside, but in fact it doesn't really cost them all that much in their day-to-day -day living. And John's aware of this, because he knows that they're like serpents. They're shrewd and they're able to see what's going on, but they're not really being renovated to their heart and to their soul. And so whenever he sees this, he calls out, you brood of vipers! You get the idea, at least externally, but you're not willing to do the work. And he's aware that this is going to lead to ruin if they don't really capture and really hold on to that message that's being given to them. And so he's trying to really shake them up and trying to get them to hear that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that the axe is there, that the chaff is going to be winnowed away from that floor, and it's going to be burned that all of a sudden there's going to be this reckoning, and it's going to be one where the Pharisees and Sadducees, if they do not change their ways, if they do not go repentance and true repentance, then they're going to find themselves in a place of want, in a place of hurt. But as we consider that, we need to consider that in an Advent context, because we know that we're preparing for that coming of the Lord. And so if we start off, we see what exactly is John the Baptist saying. Well, first, we know that he's proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand, that he, in fact, is aware that Jesus Christ is somewhere around. He's not quite sure who he is or where his character is just yet, but he's always pointing behind him, telling that there is one that is greater than I that is coming. He's always pointing out, he's trying to get people to pay attention, not so much to him, but to the one that is coming. 
And even it's that one that Isaiah was also speaking of, the one that was going to have the Spirit of the Lord, that was going to enact all of these radical changes, and even nature itself was going to be contradicted because Jesus was going to come into his midst and indeed flow over the entirety of all creation. And so he's aware of this, and he's proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand, that there is something that is going on in our midst to pay attention and to look and to see what exactly is going on. Because that's part and parcel of what our Advent journey is, looking and preparing the way of the Lord, looking around and seeing where Jesus is, not just in the past, not just now, but also in the future. And so we're continuing to pay attention for that moment. We also have to see the core of what he's saying. He's not just saying, look around and see where Jesus is. He's not just saying, look for his figure or try and see when he's coming or maybe guess that time. But he's rather saying, repent. He's saying, look towards your hearts and your souls and make them ready because they might not be ready yet for the coming of the Savior. And so when he says repent, so often in our hearts and in our minds, we start to see the ways that we fall short. Because whenever we hear that word repentance, it should call to mind that word conversion. Because so often in life, each and every one of us have those different areas of struggle, those areas of sinfulness, those things that really get in the way of our relationship with God. We know that it's a reality. We know that each of us likely have our own set of issues, our own set of struggles, and those things that are really habitual for us or maybe are really hard for us to get rid of. And yet, nonetheless, whenever John the Baptist is calling out to the Pharisees and Sadducees, he's saying, don't make this an empty call of repentance, but truly put yourself about the work. But for us, what is that work? Where are we falling short of the gospel right now? Where are we falling short of Jesus' call and John the Baptist's call for repentance? Because we know very well that narrative that comes around at Christmas time, that Joseph and Mary, they're looking for room for Jesus in the end, and they can't find any. How sad would that be if that's our hearts and our souls as well? How unfortunate would that be if we had all of this time to repair and we still didn't make room for the Christ child? Because that's what John the Baptist is aware, that he's telling him and he's warning them that Jesus Christ is right here in your midst, that he's somewhere dwelling around and he's walking around in the flesh, that he's here, but you're not ready to make room for him. Why aren't you seeing that the axe is at the stump? Why aren't you aware that that is now happening and the kingdom of heaven is at hand? And it's a shrill warning for each one of us, and it might cause us to have some fear and anxiety, but I dare say it should give us that moment of encouragement as well. Because if we do that act of repentance, if we go about that act of conversion, then we know that we're making our hearts and our souls ready for Jesus. We're making room for him in places where there may not have been before. But also notice what happens whenever we get rid of sin in our life. Because Isaiah is speaking to a people that are largely encumbered by sin and by slavery, by exile and oppression, that they are largely undergoing those wages of sin. And we know that ourselves, that so often when we struggle with sin, we struggle with that same weight, and it's very difficult for us to bear. But if we let go of all of those things, we start to see the ways that the one that is coming, the Spirit of the Lord that is upon him, wants to be upon each of us as well. And that's a sign of encouragement, a sign of hope, but it's showing us the joy and that hope and that expectation that is our call, much like St. Paul also speaks of as well. But it's not just something for us to behold ourselves, is it? But it's in fact a message that our brothers and sisters need to hear also. And especially those that we might have given up on a long time ago. Maybe our friends, our relatives, our family members, or maybe those that seem like they're just not listening to that call for conversion and for repentance. 
Because that call, as much as it is for each one of us, it's also for us to extend to one another. Because St. Paul, whenever he's speaking to the Romans, he's reminding them that this gospel message is not just meant for you to sit on. It's not just meant for you to kind of take home to chew on yourself. But it's really one that's meant for you to proclaim to the entire world, even to the Gentiles, to the ones that we might think are far beyond God's mercy. We might just feel like there's no hope for them. But it's not up to us to decide that, is it? But in fact, it's up to God to decide that. And so we need to continue to have that courage and that boldness to proclaim this message of repentance, especially to those that we might have given up on. Those that we might feel are not following God's call or might not be listening. Because we never know when the grace of God's really going to strike their heart and their soul. And they're truly going to find that grace of conversion and repentance, especially if we've extended a hand to them first. Because that message of repentance and conversion, it isn't just for us. But as St. Paul reminds us, it's for harmony. It's for all of us to proclaim to others, especially those in most need of it, especially those outside of the church right now, or maybe that seem like they're outside of God's good graces. It isn't for us to make that determination, but it's for us to continue to proclaim that message, especially to those that we might feel need it most. But my brothers and sisters, that's a part and parcel of what our work is. To see the good news, to see the ways that Jesus Christ is coming into our midst, but to do that repentance and that conversion ourselves, and to really see the ways that he's calling us to that life of newness and that life of grace. Because we have to make room in our hearts and our souls, but we also have to be willing to proclaim that message, because if we truly believe the good news of gospel, we're not going to be afraid to proclaim it to others. So we should really seize onto it and make it part and parcel of our hearts and our souls so that we can boldly proclaim it to every land and every place ourselves, even the places we might feel that there's no hope. Because perhaps that's why it seems so fascinating to me whenever my dad would call out to the cattle and they would respond. Because it didn't seem like they would have any motive to respond. It seemed like they would never have any sort of authority, or my dad wouldn't have that ability to get all of them to come so quickly, and yet he did. He would just simply call out, and they would hear, and they would respond without delay and without hesitation. And really, it should be the same way with us. Because we're always given that call to conversion. We're always given that call because we know the hope and the expectation and the fact that Jesus Christ is coming to us and the kingdom of heaven is indeed at hand. We're being called out to by John the Baptist, by Isaiah, and even Jesus Christ himself. But it's up to us to continue to make that work ours to continue to live lives of repentance and conversion. So my brothers and sisters, that same message of John the Baptist I proclaim to each and every one of you. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's truly seek after that work for Jesus is truly in our midst and he's coming and will not delay.